Hello, my name is Daniel Nenny, founder of SemiWiki, the open forum for semiconductor professionals. Welcome to the Semiconductor Insiders podcast series. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please post it on semiwiki.com and we'll get right to it. My guest today is Nick Iliadis, Senior Director of Product Planning at Acronix. With over 35 years of data and semiconductor engineering and manufacturing experience and 72 issued patents under his name, Nick is a recognized expert on software and hardware development and quality control. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Daniel, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Nick, first I'd like to ask how you got started in semiconductors. Do you have an interesting story there? Yes. Uh, back when I was in college, I uh, went to Rochester Institute of Technology, and there was a competition for uh, transfer students uh, that was put up by Kodak uh, to basically give out scholarships. And I won the uh, scholarship for my program, and they offered me a job at the research labs as a co-op student, and they were developing some uh, uh, early Gatorade to do image processing. So I was uh, working with that team and got to see some of the early Gatorades that had a whole thousand gates on them at that time, which was <laughs> a lot. <laughs> no, that's interesting. So what brought you to Acronix? So you know, I've, I've had a, a long history of, of both uh, chip designer, leading chip teams, uh, leading system teams. I was a group CTO at Broadcom for almost a decade and uh, worked at Marvell, but I'd never worked on FPGAs. And um, so for me, it was a, you know, to learn something new, kind of uh, put my mark on a, a space that I hadn't worked on before. And uh, also the, uh, the challenge of uh, taking on the two Goliaths, you know, being the the uh, small company with some differentiated technology and going out there and making our mark in the market. Yeah, I, I do have some FPGA background and I was working for a small company and I battled the two Goliaths as well. And we were actually a startup. We were acquired by um, Actel, uh, who was acquired by Microchip and the technology, it's uh, flash based uh, FPGA, it's still in use. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting business. Uh, and Acronix is a wonderful company. I've worked with them for a while. Uh, it, it's always a pleasure. So let's talk about chiplets. Um, from from your view, what is chiplet technology and why is the topic seemingly gaining so much momentum? So you know, chiplet technology is the ability to take smaller dies, you know, the chips, and you know, put them together inside of a package and from an outside world have it look like a single device, a single SOC, but it's actually disaggregated internally. Uh, what's driving this is a, a couple of things. Uh, first of all is Moore's Law, you know, the, the fact that trying to put more and more things inside the package because the package is what you know, kind of gets put on, on PC boards or inside of your you know, cell phone. Um, can the economics of making that a monolithic integration are becoming more and more challenging due to yield and other things. So being able to disaggregate that into smaller pieces that yield better allow you to build uh, things more economically. The second is the uh, the appropriate technology for you know, appropriate use cases, meaning that you know, being able to, to pack the most transistors in, in kind of the digital domain to create a you know, CPU may not be what the, the same transistors you want to use to create an IO driver or, or you know, serial serializer, deserializer for uh, you know, driving uh, longer channels. So those may be better to put in some older technology, you know, in this case, you know, seven nanometer or, or even 16. So the mix and match of heterogeneous process technologies that some things are in analog domain, some things are in the digital domain, and be able to put them together without having to move everything to the, to the latest node allows you to kind of, you know, 
pick the right pieces for the, the technology. The third one is also a, an ecosystem play, meaning that do I have to design every piece of my silicon or can I source some of the components, just like you would source components on a PC board from you know, other companies that have you know, um, IPO capabilities in one domain that I don't have that you can basically you know, put them together inside the package and have it be a combined device, uh, you know, things like an RF front end a modem that would go with some sort of a processing system. You know, there's companies out there that provide with an RF modem chiplet that would go with, with somebody else's you know, apps processor and then the, the two will go inside the package and, and create an SOC. So I think those are the the various um, you know drivers for why we're going to, into this space uh, whole, wholeheartedly from this point. Right. So based on your experience, what are some of the pitfalls of this multi-chip or chiplet design architecture? Oh, the pitfalls, um, first of all, standards. You know, being able to have standardized interfaces to you know electrically connect these things together. Uh, but the ones that people uh, haven't, I guess, put their arms around is not only the, the, the electrical, but there's also the, the mechanical, the form factor. Um, and if you if you look at the standards around like JEDEC, uh for things like HVM. I think you know HVM should be the poster child for for chiplets because JEDEC not only defines like the you know, the bus width and the you know the, the signals, but they also define the the pad layout, meaning the pads that are, get put down on the on the uh, the package, the actual size you know within certain limits of what the the stack of HVM would look like, and you know uh, the thermals and all these other things that that have to go into the actual integration of that chiplet, in this case it's a memory chiplet, into a package. So for uh, chiplets to be successful, unless you're, you're doing them, let's say, entirely in-house, meaning my goal is to just disaggregate something to just drive the cost down and give me flexibility, and I, I own all the chiplets, then obviously they're all within the domain of my design team. But if I'm going to go source these chiplets from a third party or you know, a chiplet marketplace, that standardization of not just the electrical interfaces, but the physical, mechanical, thermal uh, packaging requirements all have to be standardized or at least categorized into certain buckets that people know that what they're getting into when they go down and say, well, I want to go use this chip. Well, it comes with this, these requirements and that you have to take into consideration when you're going to design it into your package. Right. Yeah, so you mentioned standards. Uh, so in your view, what is the universal chiplet Interconnect Express standard or UCIE, and you know, is this going to bring the microprocessor industry together for multi-chip designs? It is a, a great first step. Uh, like I said, you need the, the kind of the electrical protocol standards so that you know how these chiplets could talk to each other. Um, it's not the first. Uh, it, it's obviously it's gotten a lot of attention because it is being backed by uh, both Intel and AMD. So when you have both the big processor guys, as well as the foundries and some of the packaging houses and some of the IP houses all behind it, it kind of gives it a lot of credibility. It says, okay, this is going to go down and have a, uh, momentum and uh, staying power. Just kind of look at PCIe. So PCIe is a, is a similar thing, right? PCIe is an electrical standard that says, you know, here's what the signals do. But there's also a PCIe um, Card form factor that is also, it's not inside the, the electrical standard, right? The PCIe SIG electrical standard doesn't tell you how, what a PCIe card, you know, the quarter length, full length, double width, 
all that is actually standardized kind of outside of the PCIe electrical standard. That's kind of a, it's a PCIe form factor. So just because we have UCIe, back to what I was saying earlier, you need to also cover those other things, the form factor and mechanicals and stuff like that. So UCIe is to PCIe what the PCIe electrical standard is, but there also needs to be these other standards around uh, or categories around how, how things get packaged. So I think UCIe is, a, is a, a great first step. It does have kind of brought the industry together. There's some other ones out there, like a bunch of wires that is actually a little bit ahead because it's uh, it was a smaller group of companies and they're uh, they're you know they're moving forward. Um, and you know maybe there's room in the industry for two, uh, but more than two, I think it's going to fragment the industry, right? So I, I think right now we have two company, you know, two standards. Let's call them. One comes out of the OCP, which is it's ODSA, uh, which is this bunch of wires. So it's kind of in that OCP domain. And then you have the UCIE, which is basically a collection of companies that came together to, to standardize something through the, the normal standardization process. But I think it, uh, I think that's just what the industry needs is to have this coming together with the, the main players and saying, okay, this is the, the standard. But it's a, it's a 1.0 standard and it doesn't address all the use cases. So it does need to evolve to bring in more transports of different protocols because it is right now just PCIe and CXL. So you think of UCIe as taking what runs on a kind of a PCIe card edge and putting it to down to a die-to-die. But because die-to-die or chiplets may want to operate at a much more elementary level at things like AXI, the, you know, the AMBA protocols from, from ARM or some of the other low-level low transports still need to be supported. So I think that UCIE has to go through that evolution to encompass these other um, transports. I agree. But, you know, we've been, done it before, as you mentioned, PCIe, HBM. So I, we can do it again. We know how to do this. So we just got to get it done. But let's talk about FPGAs. This, this is interesting. So are FPGA-based chiplets advantageous to CPUs? I mean, you know, give us some background here. Yeah, so... And today, FPGAs, you know, the fact that FPGAs are successful is because they are so malleable, meaning they can take on many different capabilities and personas by just reprogramming them, right? There's obviously different types of I.O. that you have to have, to, depending on what the use case is, whether you're going to get attached to a PCIe or Ethernet or you're going to be used in a, you know, in a test environment, you have to have a lot of different I.O.s. So, you know, the value of a FPGA is, is known today in the industry, because that's, that's obviously the where people use them, but an FPGA inside of a of a package of a device is also provides this other level of flexibility. Meaning that now inside my device, I have the ability to change its characteristics at a de package device level by reprogramming the FPGA. So the FPGA, in my mind, is kind of this ideal chiplet because it allows you to take on many different persona of the package device, right? By just reprogramming the FPGA, so you can have different types of accelerators. You can change the nature of what that I.O. is. Um, one use case was you can use the FPGA logic to actually allow you to adapt different die-to-die -die interfaces to each other. So if you're in a, uh, you know, this ecosystem of different chiplets coming from different manufacturers, you put a little bit of FPGA in each of them and it allows you to potentially, you know, interoperate more easily because you can, you know, change things uh, after the fact. So, you know, this is my, you know, my view here is that um, you know, the FPGA is an ideal chiplet because it is so malleable, so reconfigurable, and can take on so many different personas within within a packaged device that it gives you that next level of flexibility. Yeah, I, I agree completely. 
Um, but you mentioned packaging. So packaging is a big deal. What are the challenges to chipset based packaging and how do we overcome this? So, um, you know, packaging, you know, it was funny because yeah, when I was designing chips, you know, the package was many times just an afterthought. It's saying, all right, we got to put this this great chip inside of a package and break all the pins so that we can you know, access them. And then, you know, as you know, devices got more and more power uh, hungry and uh, larger, the packages became more complex and it took a lot more engineering. I mean, it went from a lead frame, you know, with basically the package was just a lead frame with some, you know, encapsulated plastic or uh, epoxy to a uh, you know, device that had multiple layers inside of it, you know, for these slip chips. But now you have to have a package that can accommodate multiple die. Now, obviously, those exist today. Talk about HVM, uh, Intel, and, and AMD, and others do have multi-die you know, packages, chiplets that they've de developed themselves, even 3D stacking. But um, it's not, you know, been available for the masses. Let's say that. So now, if you're going to democratize this. Uh, capability, you need to make packaging um, much easier to use and develop and de design with, and also uh, more cost more cost effective. Because if you take, you know, two, let's say, $25 die, and you put them into a $200 package, well, you're not gaining anything there, right? So um, you know, the, the the cost of this packaging has to come down to you know help drive the economics of this whole thing, right? And then there's different types of packaging. You know, there's this what's called standard package, which uses some form of organic substrate with uh, layers of, and traces in it and uh, have a, about, you know, between 130 and 110 micron bumps. You know, these are the things that attach to the, 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 uh, the equivalent bumps on the, on the uh, die to advanced packages that are down in the you know, 45 micron, uh, things like um, you know, silicon interposers or uh, fan out RDL. But those silicon interposers and fan out RDL are very much um, designing, you know, it's just extending the, the metal layers that you have on a single die to, to multiple layers on, inside the package. So it becomes an extension of the, you know, the metalization of the, of the die. So the same techniques that are used to design, you know, the, the layers of metal inside of a die have to get extended into the design of the package. So, you know, the simulation tools and the um, characterization and testing and, and uh, validation becomes much more challenging because, you know, all these things you, you lose visibility um, and then you also have the challenge of I've have die that have you know that each can vary within their process windows right so because in the past you had a single die and you knew that well you know there might be some slight variations from corner to corner but if, if you have a die that's kind of in the slow slow corner if you have one that's in the fast fast corner you know that all the transitions are going to track but now you put two die together in the package and unless you've done something to pre-sort them to have them all be equivalent in terms of their speed grade, you now have to kind of worry about the, well, if I have a slow, slow part and a fast, fast part in the same package, you know, how do I characterize that or how do I simulate that across all the different corners, right? So I think our simulation tools and, uh, you know, the way, the way we uh, test and characterize these, it just adds another dimension there that uh, in terms of complexity. Yeah, I agree. You know, the, the good news about packaging is the foundries are big on packaging because if you look at Intel's a foundry, Samsung's a foundry, TSMC is is really big on packaging now. All three of these leading edge foundries are hugely experienced with packaging. So, you know, I, I, I have no I have no concern about packaging. I think we're gonna be able to overcome that pretty pretty easily. So let's sum this up, Nick. You know, how is Acronix addressing chiplet technology? There's two two ways. So first of all, we are looking at 
triplets for potential use for our, our standard products. And so that is basically, you know, you know, you know, using them to allow us to build different, you know, combinations of products by using chiplets. So that's, you know, something that we have, you know, we haven't announced that, you know, because we're still in the evaluation phase of whether that's the right technology for us. But what we also realize is that, you know, we have, we have two businesses. We have a device business that so we sell devices in the market, but we also have an IT business where we take the same embedded, the same FPGA technology that is used in the core of our products and license it out as what we call ESPGA, embedded FPGA technology that our customers can license and use inside their products. If you want to basically build a device that has an FPGA in it rather than outside of it, uh, and we have, you know, we've shipped over 15 million, or our customers have shipped over 15 million of these cores in their products today. So we are a very successful business selling IP that is, you know, our own IP that we use in our products, as we say, you know, we eat our own dog food kind of thing. Um, so right now, the, the position I'm taking in the market is saying, hey, if you want to build an FPGA chiplet, we have the, the IP for you that, you know, will uh, make this a really Good chiplet because we are also evaluating this technology for ourselves and potentially developing some of the IP around it that allows you know chiplets to be you know based on embedded FPGA technology. So right now our offer to the market is if you want to build an FPGA chiplet, come to us. Well, we will enable you with the appropriate IP. We you know some, all the players in the ecosystem that uh, we're in, in currently engaging with evaluating, and we can help you on that journey. That's great. Great summary. So, Nick, thank you very much. Um, we can all see Acronix at Acronix.com, and you guys are at a lot of the conferences. I see you guys all the time. And, and Nick, I know you're on the East Coast. Next time you're on the West Coast, definitely uh, stop in. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to be happy to meet you, and you know, we can talk a bit more at, at a later day. Okay. Sounds great. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Daniel. That concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening, and have a great day.